Okay, if you would turn your Bible to Job in chapter 1. Job chapter 1. I've preached this message before, but I've had it on my desk for a few weeks. Been bringing coming to mind, so anyway. Job chapter 1, going to be looking at why the righteous suffer. Job 1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, just to pause there for a minute, the average Christian in the world would think, that's wonderful. Job's going to have a wonderful life. Because that's what's heard often. That, you know, if you just believe in Jesus, and you would just have a wonderful life. Um, but that wasn't the case, as we're going to see. Anyway, there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and very great households, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. You know, let me give pause again and say, but not all his life was terrible either. He had some wonderful parts to his life because of the grace of God. Anyway, verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone in his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. It was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now it was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While I was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were drinking, eating and drinking wine in an elder's brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not 
nor charged God foolishly. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, he will give for his life. Put forth now, put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his ground. And he took him a pot sure to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God, and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for this testimony of your servant in the past, Job, who retained his integrity and endured the trials and hardships of life and rejoiced in, the end in your blessings. Father, we just pray that you give us wisdom and understanding and thy truth and, the, and why sometimes we suffer in this life. And may we be helped and you glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do the righteous suffer? Well, I think there's several reasons why the righteous suffer. Uh, of course, the history of mankind has been one long trail of suffering and destruction. Uh, in the first family, you had a murder. In the first family. Uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. Uh, within several generations, you had polygamy already starting and, and just a lot of things going on. Um, within the first uh, maybe a thousand, two thousand years, you had a worldwide flood. Man was so bad, his the the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis six tells us, and so and now we have war and we have pestilence and famines and um, and and all these things that are happening in the world, and the righteous are not immune. To the sufferings of life. Uh, the righteous suffer with the wicked. That's the way it is. Job 5 7 says this Yet man is born in the trouble as the sparks fly upward. Uh, John 16 33, read this morning, says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, 1 John 5, 19 tells us the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the word picture there is it's like a little child sitting comfortably in his mama's lap. It just lies in wickedness. And, and of course, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13 says, Yea, and all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, and the evil men shall, and shall wax worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse 
Deceiving and being deceived. And when it means wax worse, that means they're going to progress in wickedness. Progress in uh, and, and all the uh, seduction and all these things. It's going to progress as time goes on and as we near the Lord's return. And so these are things that we know are in the world. So where, what's, why do they happen? Well, first of all, uh, because of the curse of sin. Because of the curse of sin. And, uh, uh, and we, we see in Genesis chapter 3, uh, you know, that, Adam and Eve, that God told uh, Adam and Eve the day they eat of the tree of the garden of knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. That was in chapter 2. In chapter 3, uh, we see that they eat of that garden. In chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, or verse 15 through 19, the Lord gives the uh, consequences of this curse. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So, you know, so there, there's really two groups of people in the world. We'll often mention this. Two groups of people in the world. There's not, you know, um, whites and orientals and, and, and um, blacks and, and, you know, and Latinos. And, well, there is those, but that's not the classification God sees. The classification God sees is there's, there's saved and there's unsaved. There's children of God and there's children of the devil. And when he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, he's talking about the her seed would be the children of God, and his seed would be the children of the devil. So, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise thy heel. That's speaking about Christ, who would deal Satan a death blow and destroy him that had the power of death. But he would die, he'd be bruised in the process. He would have to die and give his life a ransom for our sin. But anyway, then it goes on and says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, he shall rule over thee. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and another dust thou shalt return. And then, um, verse 23, he says, And therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove them out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so, you know, the, the ground was cursed, but also Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, the place where they had communion and fellowship with God. So there you see a separation from God. And, and of course, that is because of sin, of sin. And Romans, of course, Romans 5, 12 through 14, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 says, Wherefore... As by one man, sin entered into the world. You know, I don't think sin originated with man. It was originated with the devil, but the man brought it into the world. Man succumbed to it. He submitted himself to it. Man brought it into the world. So by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. You know, that verse 13 really means, you know, the law wasn't given to Moses. So although there was a death penalty stated, there wasn't other laws governing life. And so there was no stated penal code, you know, punish, code of punishment up until the law. Uh, concerning divorce and remarriage and, and stealing and all these things. All those things were given in the law, in the book of Exodus, by, through Moses. But, but despite that, death reigned. That's the result of sin. And so, so death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over to them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. So, so we see that you know, the, the ground is cursed. The animals, you know why the animals are dangerous? Do you, do you ever, you know, you know, I get these uh, um, uh, on, on YouTube and sometimes they'll come in news clips, particularly out in Yellowstone and Montana and these places, you know, people are being attacked by bison. I wonder why that is. Well, I could tell you from just... Being growing up on a farm, that there are certain animals you do not get too close to because they will feel threatened. And if they feel threatened, they will attack you. And they have a very great ability to hurt you very badly. And so, you know, people just don't understand that this is a wild animal and it can hurt you. Now, why is that? Because of the curse of sin. Because up until the curse of sin... That wasn't a reality. But because of the curse of sin, animals have become dangerous. They eat each other. They didn't eat each other prior to that. But they eat each other, and we eat them, which is a good thing. Uh, enjoy. Uh, but, you know, there was no death until man sinned in the garden. But because of this, you know, by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so... Death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Therefore, we inherit a sin nature. We are sinners by nature. Uh, and then we are, of course, sinners by choice. You know, Genesis chapter 3, Eve saw that it was fruit good to be eaten, and she took of the fruit. You know, David saw, and he looked, at Beersheba, and he took. It was a choice. You know, so we are not only sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice. And, you know, as cute as those little children can be, they, they sin very early in life. They are sinners by nature. They, they go astray from the womb speaking lies. Psalm, I think it's Psalm 38 says. But anyway, so, so we, we are sinners by nature and by choice. In fact, Matthew chapter... 5 and verse 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. It says, Out of the heart proceed these things. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. When Philip was at 
Samaria preaching the gospel and baptizing converts. And, you know, Simon, he was before the sorcerer and, you know, professed to be some great one trying to work miracles and all this kind of thing. And, and, and then he got, he, he professed salvation and he wanted to be baptized. And then we saw the apostles laid their hands on, on those who had been baptized and they received the Holy Ghost. He wanted that power and, and, and that he could get the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because that thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. You know, sin is a heart problem. And we all have it. We're born with it. We're born with a sin nature. Therefore, we do naturally, by nature, that which is evil. We have to be trained to do that which is right. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So we have to be trained. Uh, that's why Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23, uh, yeah, Proverbs 4.23, out of it are the issues of life. What's the first part? Somebody help me. Keep thy heart, thank you. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If there's wickedness in your life, it comes from your heart. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Uh, you know, this couple of ladies wrote a book on women's dress, on dress, some years ago. And they said, the title I think was, Dress the Heart of the Matter. Because it is a matter of the heart. Uh, you know, all sin is a matter of the heart. Uh, you know, Romans ten nine, salvation is a matter of the heart. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And the heart has to do with the will. And man's will is naturally inclined to do that which is evil. And so, so this is why there's the righteous suffer uh, in the world. Uh, this is the consequence of sin in you know, the psalmist said, you know, and sin is a pit. The psalmist said, uh, yeah, I waited patient for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. You know, sin is a horrible pit. And the longer you stay in that pit, the deeper it gets. The deeper it gets. And the harder it is to get out. You know, it's sort of like being in the, a ditch along the road, and you, you think that you, if, you, if you keep backing up and pulling forward and backing up and pulling forward, you, that you'll eventually get out. And what you do is you get in deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, I, I've learned on the farm that with tractors sometimes, you know, you might start to get stuck, and you're pulling a piece of equipment. Well, if you raise the piece of equipment, sometimes you can pull out. But once you get that tractor to a certain point, it just goes deeper and deeper and it just continues to dig dirt out from under the tires and it gets stuck deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, the pit just gets deeper. That's the way sin is. It'll just, the pit just gets deeper and deeper. But thank God he can bring us out of that horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock. Sort of like Jeremiah is a picture of that. And, you know, they put him in a pit and he sunk down in the mire and it took a lot of men to bring him out. So sin... You know, the reason the righteous suffer is because of sin. 
in the world. And that is a reality that we have to deal with because it is in the world. Thirdly, sin, or or, uh, uh, not sin, uh, suffering can be the result of a child of God resisting some truth. Uh, You know, Resisting some truth or, or, or uh, resisting the will of God. Uh, I want to notice Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. The Bible says there, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. So do ye. And so, of course, the, 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 uh, this, this is uh, Stephen here who's preaching to the Pharisees and the Jews uh, there in Jerusalem, and he said, "You do always resist the Holy Ghost." And, and so, you know, if we resist God, it brings difficulty, hardships in the life. Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, "Good understanding giveth the favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard." You know, Acts nine five. The Lord said to Saul, when he's on that road to Damascus, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, Saul was doing what he wanted, but it wasn't easy. He was, he was very adamant, an angry man, but it was a hard thing for him to do it. He was under great conviction. And so, you know, we, it, we, can, we can suffer, sometimes we suffer because we are resisting some truth of God's Word. We will not give heed to it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 tells us to despise not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. When, when a preach, pre, the preacher, your pastor or teachers, teach you the Word of God, you better give heed to it. You better give heed to it. Uh, don't take it lightly. That's the idea there. You, you don't take it lightly. In fact, in Second uh, Chronicles 36 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Till there was no remedy. There was no remedy. You know, you can put off and put off, put off and disregard the truth of God's word to the point where there's no remedy. There's no remedy. You know, Genesis 6 says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Yet his days shall be 120 years. And of course, there he was speaking about those pre-flood people. And he said, what he was really saying is, I'm going to give them 120 years to repent. After that, it's over. After that, it's the flood. And I'm destroying them. And Noah preached for 120 years. And then the flood came. Took them all away. Why? They refused not to hear. They resisted the truth of God's word. And, you know, you can resist the truth of God's word through salvation and damn your soul to hell for all eternity. 
Or you as a child of God can resist some truth in your life and be chastised of the Lord. In fact, look at John chapter 15. I believe this is what the Lord is referring to here in John chapter 15. You know, he's given this, he's telling this to his disciples, to his church. And he says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. So if you picture like a, like a tree, let's say, let's say you could say an apple tree, so something we're familiar with, an apple tree. And Jesus is the tree. And he said, I'm the vine. And, and, and he says, my father, so the father is the husband. He's the one that tills the ground. He's the one that prunes the tree so that he can get the most off of the tree possible. That's the idea. So he's like the farmer. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you can ye, except ye abide in me. And I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So, so if you're going to yield fruit for the Lord, you have to be walking in obedience to the Lord. That is, abide in him. And anything that's in your life that's not helping you bring forth fruit, you know what God's going to do? He's going to cut it off. You know, every year, uh, my dad did some, had some fruit trees, and he was quite good at it, and trees did very well. But every year, we would uh, dung around them, put manure around them in the fall so that they would blossom later. So, so the ground would not thaw as quickly, and so hopefully they would blossom later to, so, the, so the, the blossoms would not get frost, you know. So, so he did that. So he's being a husbandman here. And then he would, after they start putting new shoots out in the spring, he'd go around and trim those off, some of those off. Because if you didn't trim those trees, purge them, Trim off some of those branches that were coming, them new shoots that, I mean, it looked like new growth. But if you didn't trim them off, you know what? You got a bunch of little apples about this big. But if you trimmed them, you'd get nice apples like this. So he pruned it. He cut off that which would hinder fruit bearing. That's what God's doing in our lives. You know, we could be resisting some truth, and God may be working to purge out, and it may be through suffering or a trial in life that God is bringing attention to us, trying to get our attention and saying, look, you need to get rid of this, and you need to cut this out, and you need to cut this out, and you need to cut this out. Look at Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Now where are they to be witnesses? Unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, go to chapter 8.
Verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen's. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. Now, let me stop here and say something. There was 3,000 saved on the pay of Pentecost. Okay, some very short time later, there was another 5,000 saved and added to the church. I think that's in Acts chapter 4. So you're talking a church of 8,000 plus people. Now, what did God command them to do? To go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost part of the earth. And up until this point, there doesn't seem to be any effort to go anywhere. So what happens? Saul was contending on his death, and at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So they're driven out. They hadn't taken the gospel into Judea, and they hadn't taken it yet into Samaria until now. And here, and you're going to find here in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria. So God allowed a persecution on the church of Jerusalem that scattered them everywhere. And the fruit of this persecution is the gospel got taken everywhere they went. You might say, that persecution, that was terrible. No, it wasn't. It resulted in the gospel being taken to the Samaritans. It resulted in the gospel being taken into other parts of Judea. And, and you're going to see, you know, the, the, uh, I think in chapter 9, it talks about the churches in Judea and other places around about. And, of course, eventually it's going to go other places. What happened? Well, you know, it's kind of easy. Let's just all stay here and be comfortable, isn't it? That's not God's plan. God's plan for us is to take the gospel into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You know, that may mean somebody's got to go. Somebody needs to go. And so, you know, sometimes suffering comes because of we're resisting some truth or we're resisting his call, his call on our lives. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom receiveth. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 tells us and Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, he correcteth every son in whom he delights. And then there's another thing we see here. Suffering silences, silences the enemies. Now look at Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came all among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfectly and upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil. Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But pour forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. See, some think, or some do, serve God for ulterior motives. You know, there was a time in our country when it was favorable that people were running for political office used to claim some church affiliation. Um, 
that really isn't a popular thing anymore. But one time it was. You know, this guy, because I remember, uh, and I'm trying to remember who it was. been a long time ago, but, but I can still remember, and I can't remember who the guy was that, you know, he, he claimed to be a Christian, and he claimed to be a member of this church. And so the opposing party then came up with, a, you know, that he was a member of this church, and, you know, so on and so forth. What were they looking for? They were looking for a, a, a popular, to make them popular and make them people like them better to think that they are good people. They had all tier, tier motives. Um, and so some, and this is what the, the Satan accuses the Lord of, that you have a hedge about Job and all his house, and you bless the work of his hands, and therefore he will serve you. But if you take away all that, God, he will not serve you. See, suffering reveals who's real. Who's real? Look at um, Acts or First uh, Peter chapter two, First Peter two, and verse eighteen. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But in if ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. You know, if you suffer for your wrongs, you got what you deserve. You got what you deserved. But if you suffer for not doing wrong and you bear it without taking vengeance, this is acceptable. The Bible says this is acceptable with God. This is acceptable with God. See, that's what pleases God. And that's what sets children of God apart and silent from the world, and silences the enemy. It silences the enemy. Uh, and so, you know, this is thankworthy. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, and verse 23 and 24, Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I finish, might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So what is it that will move you from obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul's testimony was, and what was prophesied would happen to him, there'd be bonds and afflictions wherever he went, preaching the gospel. But he said, None of these things move me because this is what I am appointed to. This is what the Lord has allowed my life. Therefore, I will endure it and I will silence. You know, nobody could accuse Paul of being a missionary or an evangelist for popularity. Well, he was popular. He was very popular. But for... To, to, to have an easy or a good life. Because <laughs> I didn't go along with it. It will also try your faith. Verse 11 of Job, verse 1 says this. 
Put forth thine hand now, and touch all they hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all they hath is in thine hand, in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord. This was a test of Job's faith. You know, God never really did tell Job why he suffered. Although Job realized in the end the greatness of God and how insignificant he was and how much he did not know that God did know. But Job's trials improved his understanding of God. And again, he realized how much he did know. But it was all allowed to prove that Job was true. That he was, that he would serve God. You know, Genesis 22, 1, I mentioned this this morning. Abraham did, or I'm sorry, the Lord, the Bible says the Lord did tempt Abraham. In other words, he tried him, he tested him. And in that trial, he told Abraham to take Isaac, his only son Isaac, and go offer him as a sacrifice. It was a test to prove. Sometimes the Lord tries our faith, allows trials and hardships in life to try us. Are we going to be faithful or are we not? Exodus 16, 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. you know, God did supply our needs. But are we going to trust God's way? And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may Prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. See, God may allow hardships. He may allow financial hardship in life to see if you're going to be faithful giving your tithes and offerings. You know, that's not hard to do when there's plenty of money. But when it's hard to Make the bills. Boy, I could use that 10% to help me pay the electric bill or make the car payment. You no, know, it'd be better off to sell the car and get something you don't have a payment. Don't rob God. See, God allow you. God will allow trials in your life to prove you. And sometimes those proving are, God already knows what you're going to do. You know what I think it's showing? It does for us is it proves us who we really are. God knew what Abraham would do. He just wanted Abraham to learn or to realize himself. I mean, this isn't the first test that he tried, time that he tried Abraham. There was, there was droughts, and Abraham went to Egypt. There was another drought, and Abraham went to Abimelech. What did he do? He failed the test. He failed the trial. And so, and of course, in that trial, he, he said that God would provide himself a lamb. And he did. Uh, you know, God wants us to trust him. Look at James chapter 1. And this is, this is the, Job, you know, Job is mentioned in the book of James. And the book of James is about trials in diverse temptations. In James 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh 
patience. And then look at chapter 5 and verse 10. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Think about Isaiah and Jeremiah and how they prophesied and, and, and there was no seeming, no, no fruit for them. And then he goes on and says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. See, God allowed, allowed Job's trials into his life to silence the enemy and to show Job his true self. Now, Job wasn't happy. I would say this from reading the book of Job. Job wasn't happy about what happened to him. He didn't understand. He didn't understand what God was doing or where God was. He knew God was there. But he couldn't get an answer. And he was frustrated. Did you ever get frustrated? Come on, you can shake your head with me if you want. If you want to be honest. You get frustrated? Sure, Job was frustrated because he couldn't get an answer from God. And he had an idea of what he thought was right, but it wasn't completely. Of course, his three friends were off base. But in the end, the Lord showed. And so it revealed who is true. You know, Job was accused of being a hypocrite. And trials have a way of showing hypocrites. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Verse 18. Or who is not real? Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catch away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the word by the wayside. So is he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not rooted himself, doreth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this light of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he become unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So you have four different kinds of ground here. And you have one that truly receives it. You know, the, the others hear it, and the first one doesn't understand it not, and the wicked one just catches it, takes it away. The second one, oh, they, they're they joyful in receiving this good news, you know, and they, and, they, and they think it's so great, but they do it for a little while, and then persecution arises. There's a trial. There's a test. Oh, we've had people come here, and they're excited. And before long, the excitement is gone. And they come up against some Bible teaching and they're gone. See, ter- tribulation or persecution arises and because of the word, they can't handle the word, they're offended. They're gone. 
I remember one, per, one lady said one time, well, I just wanted to try it. You know, the gospel is not something you just try. It's not like you're trying on a new dress to see if it fits. It is fit for everyone. But the heart is what makes it fit. A surrendered heart. That's repentance. And so they were offended. So, so again, salvation's a birth. We heard this morning, being born again, you just don't try your birth. If it isn't good, you, don't, you, know, you can't send it back. You know, when you first saw some of your kids, maybe you want to send some of them back. I don't know. But, but you, know, you know, the women always think they're the cutest things, and we men sometimes say, hmm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I hope you didn't want to send any of them back. But, you know, you just, you just don't try birth. It happens. You know, if you are saved, there will be sufferings and hardships in life. Yea, that all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know, God is long-suffering. But we will endure suffering. You know, even if you are not saved, you can go through life and live however you want. You are not going to be without hardships. In fact, I will submit to you, you will have the hardships with no solutions. No answers, no understanding if you do it without God. And no purpose. It's a vain life. We may suffer in this life, but we can rejoice that we have hope. We do have a purpose. And Job understood that purpose. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And in my flesh, and though worms eat this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He believed in a resurrection. And he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Oh, the Lord would give us faith, trust as Job through the trials and hardships of life.